If you have your Bible this morning, we can turn to uh, Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-one. Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-one. Uh, we have been going through the story of a man named Hezekiah. Uh, his father was king of Judah, which was the southern part of the people of God. They had split into two countries, and right now. Uh, his father Ahaz had been king of the southern kingdom, Judah. His father was wicked. His father worshipped idols, had helped the rest of the country to worship idols. Uh, he had helped to build temples and places of worship for idols and other gods on all the high hills uh, around the country. And in fact, it had gotten so bad that they had brought idolatry right into the very temple of God. And Ahaz himself was so wicked that to a foreign god, he took one of his sons and had him sacrificed to that god. A wicked, wicked king. Well, one of his other sons, Hezekiah, becomes king after Ahaz dies. And so we've been looking at Hezekiah. What would his response be, not only to that past of his father and of the nation, but just the fact that God came and showed him his grace, what it was to be in relationship with God. And we've seen that right away, Hezekiah has this very tender, humble, responsive uh, heart to God. And in the very first month of his kingship, he decides, I am going to take the nation with me to God. We are going to do what God has told us to do. And it wasn't just that he wanted to follow the rules. God had been kind to him, and now he's responding uh, in his heart towards God. And so uh, he has been going now in these first few weeks that we've been looking at Hezekiah, taking the people through reforms. They've been getting rid of idolatry. They've been, they've been setting up worship again in the temple. And last week we saw that they had this huge celebration of the Passover. It hadn't been done correctly in a long time. Nobody cared about the Passover, the most major holiday that the Israelites had. It was remembering the fact that God had spared them while they're in Egypt, that a lamb's blood had been sacrificed for their families and God had preserved them from death and set them free. It was ultimately a sign of what Jesus would do on the cross, shedding his blood and covering us in that so that God also would be kind and not smite us, you know, bring his wrath on us. So Hezekiah was saying, wait a second, we, we need to we need to observe Passover. And so they they threw this huge huge holiday of Passover uh, there in Jerusalem. And they made some mistakes. They didn't do things quite right. But what we saw was, it, even in their immaturity, that their heart was in a great response. They just said, we just love you back. We see that you have loved us. You are a God. You are kind. You are gracious. And we love you back. We are celebrating. They celebrated Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. And at the end of seven days, they said, you know what? We love him so much. Let's go for another seven days. And even though they, were, they had just this childlike love for God, um, he, he was so responsive, just like, I love that you love me back. I love that you love me back. And so that would have been great. They would have had this great holiday. Um, but today we're going to look at the final piece of their reforms and how that applies uh, not only to them, but to us uh, and our place in Jesus. So that's where we come to Second Chronicles chapter 31. This is after the holiday then, after Passover. It says, now when all this Passover was finished, all Israel went, uh, who, uh, who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin and in Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. 
Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. So the holidays over, they had all been in Jerusalem and they say something has happened here. Our heart has been completely given over to God because we know that he loves us. And so it can't just be in Jerusalem. And it says they leave the holiday and instead of going home where they had taken work off, they had missed maybe some family members. They had to go back and maybe feed their cattle instead of going back and taking care of those responsibilities. First, they say, no, 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 no. What happened in our heart and being fully devoted to God has to happen, not just in Jerusalem and not just on a holiday. This needs to occur throughout the life of our nation. And so they strike out from Jerusalem and they go to all these uh, idols, their houses, these temples. They had, they had built secure buildings whereby people would go in and sacrifice to other gods. And they wouldn't just go and destroy the idol. They went and tore down the buildings. They went and tore down those things which were obstacles to kind of protect those idols. And they just destroyed all of them. It was not just outside Jerusalem, but it says they went far to the north up into Ephraim and Manasseh and all over Israel. And they just, just destroyed all the objects of worship that were in the land. Now, you and I would be like, yes, like that is what you do. God has worked in your heart. Of course you get rid of the idols. But imagine trying to go and do that. God moves in your heart today at Unity Church. You're, you're saying, man, before I go home, I needed to go destroy idols in Johnston County and North Carolina. In fact, all of America. And you go start ripping people's smartphones out of their hands and smashing them on the ground. And you take their TVs off the wall and throw them in the trash. And you go down and you start uh, destroying banks and all the things in America which we have bowed down to in worship. That's what they were doing. They were taking things that people actually loved, but they had committed other holiday vacations to. They had given money to. Some people had sacrificed children to. And they were saying, we can't do this anymore we have to go in by the roots and rip out this love for other things that we've had so before they ever even go home they say we've got to take further steps than just having a holiday this has to permeate into the rest of our lives into our lives and the life of our country we must go destroy our idols and so these reforms i think are a good indication for us that that day when we say to jesus christ i see your love for me you have died on the cross for me you want to set me free and so right now i want to be free of the burden of sin and death that is a great and awesome prayer to pray for salvation but do we get up from that prayer asking forgiveness and then go wander off into the rest of the temples that we have built for other idols and just continue on with the rest of our life and worshiping all these other things. My friends, it can't be so. The work that God does in you in this building and at this altar through this word by his Holy Spirit. When he says you are to be fully devoted means that it starts here and continues everywhere. It goes to work with you. It goes into your family with you. It affects your marriage. It affects the way you teach. It affects everything that you do that you would go and be fully devoted to God in every area of your life. And what we're beginning to see in the, in the people of Israel here is they realize that the holiday was great. But now we need to grow. We were childlike and we messed up the holiday and we didn't even do things quite right. But now we need to grow in our faith. We need to mature. We as uh, me as an individual and we as a group, we have got to mature in our faith. 
And it means that we're getting rid of idols and putting God more and more and more in front of our face, no matter where it is that we go. And so this is what they're doing. They say it starts here and goes everywhere. It can't just be in our heart. It's got to be throughout our entire life. And they go out and destroy all these idols. And it says in verse 2, Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priests and of the Levites, division by division, each according to his service. The priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to minister in the gates of the camp of the Lord and to give thanks and praise. The contribution of the king from his own possessions was for the burnt offerings, the burnt offerings of morning and evening and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths, the new moons and the appointed feast as it is written in the law of the Lord. So right here, it's like, what? (laughs) Like, what is going on? What they're doing is restoring worship. God had told them, this is the way I want you to operate. And I'm going to put over you a people that will be your priests. They will help to uh, manage the way you worship ceremonially, lead you to the word of God, lead you to God. And that hadn't been being done. Now, they had just started it in Jerusalem. They all could have gone home and say, we'll see you next year. But Hezekiah says, no, what I'm going to do is I'm going to make sure that this is happening throughout our country. And so in each of the cities, as was supposed to be, they put these priests, they put the Levites there to help make sure that this was continuing, that they were continuing to worship God, that they would grow up this this nation to continue to keep their eyes on their God in their cities, in their homes, in their in their synagogues, wherever they would go. They would continue to lead people towards God. So that's what they're doing. They're organizing a way for them as a country to mature, to stay in the faith, even while they're not at the holiday. And so it says in verse four that they continue this. And he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. So he says, hey, look, if we have these priests and these Levites that are to care for us spiritually, They can't be going out and working in the field all the time. They can't be going out and just being a blacksmith. They can't go off to these day jobs. We need to provide for them so that they can provide for us. Okay, this would be an easy point for me to make a quick turn for giving a tithing sermon. Okay, make sure that you're all tithing so that I can do my job. Fortunately, this church already does that. I'm thankful. Um, that, that I get to do my job of giving the law to you, giving the word of God to you, taking Jesus to you. But I'm not going to make this into a tithing sermon. It's not about that. This is about them saying, look, we need to get ready to mature. And so we are going to put the people and put ourselves in the right and best place for us to continue to mature in the Lord. So they said, these people, let's make sure they don't have to go work and don't have the opportunity to help us. They organize the priests and then they say, now bring in the contributions. Everybody bring in the contributions so we can provide for the priests to do the job that they have been told to do. So that's what they are doing at this point. So this is their response. What is the usual response to a tithing call? Hey, give your money. And everybody's like, oh, crud. No, a lot of people are really generous, but sometimes you're like, this is really going to hurt. How much can I give? I can maybe give, you know, this fraction. Let's look at the response that they have when they're like, We are going full bore into this, into this call to maturity, into growing in the Lord. It says this, as soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the worst of their fields, the injured of their flock, the little. What does it say? 
They brought the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, and honey, and all the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. They were so eager to give towards the Lord that they were like, well, let's give him the first. Why? Because that's what he demanded. He needs the best. We should give him the best. We should give him the first. And they brought in abundance. They're like, let's just give more. Let's give more. Let's give more. Whatever the Lord is doing here, let's throw ourselves into it. And literally, they were throwing their tithe into what God is leading them in this moment. And so it continues and says in verse 6, And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought the tithe of cattle and sheep and the tithe of the dedicated things that had been dedicated to the Lord in uh, their God. And they laid them in what? Heaps. They started making huge mounds in their collection. Uh, just like sometimes in the offering plate, it just looks mounded. They were heaping, literally heaping up contributions right there. Um, and so it says that in verse 7, in the third month, they begin to pile up the heaps. So they're heaping the heaps is what they're doing. Uh, they're heaping the heaps and finished them in the seventh month. So they took four months of just gathering and gathering and gathering all these things for their worship. And then it says, Verse 8, when Hezekiah and the princes came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his, and the, uh, uh, and his people Israel. So Hezekiah, he's given the command to do this, and he goes away. He had, given, he had given some of his own stuff, too. He goes away, does his king stuff, and then he comes back after four months, and he's like, whoa, look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. It is a significant thing to recognize when God works in the hearts of people so that they give selflessly to the work of God. It really is. And I'm not just talking about tithes and offerings. I mean, we've got a generous church. Every time we have a, 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 a business meeting and I look at the contributions, I'm like, that's amazing that people have, have had God work in their hearts that they would give money. I'm not talking about money right now. It's amazing to me when God has worked in the hearts of people and they come and they heap their talents into what God is doing in the church. And they come and they heap their attention and the things they want to learn. They, they heap them into the church and they say, I'm here and I'm willing and I'm all about what God is doing here. To me, it's like, thank you, God. Because he's at work. He's at work in you. When you come and you bring back those things, yeah, you're being generous, but God has worked in you to make you courageous to do those things. You're giving up things, and it's not just because you decided. God is working in you, and I'm always thankful for that. Hezekiah was thankful for that. He comes back and says, whoa, look what the Lord has done. Look how he's moved in the people. Praise be to God. He just starts worshiping at what he sees. And it goes on and says in verse 9, And Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. Azariah, the chief priest, who was of the house of Zadok, answered him. Since they began to bring the contributions into the house of the Lord, we've eaten and had enough and plenty left. For the Lord has blessed his people so that we have this large amount left. So they've brought in heaps. Hezekiah goes to the priest and them and says, are you being taken care of? And the priest says, you know what? All that the Lord has had the people to bring in. We've been careful. We've even had left left over like the Lord has really cared for those who are in 
his service. And so it's a good report coming back to Hezekiah. The Lord is moving. The, the people are responding and they're coming together in what the Lord has called them to do. Let's keep going. Verse 11, then Hezekiah commanded them to prepare chambers in the house and they prepared them. So they didn't even have enough room to put the heaps. He says, we've got to clear out some storage space. Uh, they might have even built some space onto there. So they start storing all this stuff for what the Lord's going to use it, not only to provide for the priest, but also for what they'll use it for in their worship. Verse 12, and they faithfully brought in the contributions, the tithes and the dedicated things. The chief officer in charge of them was Konaniah the Levite with Shemaiah's brother as second, while Jehiel as a uh, Azazah, Aziza, see, I, I can't say these Hebrew names very well. Aziza, uh, Nahath, uh, Asahel, uh, Jer- Jeremoth, I should have practiced these, uh, Josabad, Elil, Ishmachiah, Mahiath, and Benaniah uh, were overseers assisting Konaniah and Shemai, his brother, by the appointment of Hezekiah the king and Azariah the chief officer of the house of God. So I I love these verses. I know it's a bunch of names and I can't pronounce them very well, but I love that they include that because what they're saying is we have these heaps and now we're going to store them. But what he says is he lists off the people that are going to be responsible and steward them. This has been given. This is what we have. Now let's make sure we, we use the resources that God has given us properly, that we know that they've been taken care of and put in the right place. It's good to have, have churches be accountable for what they're doing with their money to make sure that this is where God wanted it to go. It's not in the hands of people who are misusing it. That's why, for the most part, I keep all of my hands, all of Pastor Jason Hudson's uh, hands are off the money at Unity Church. I leave that in the hands of the people that God has appointed to steward the money to make sure it goes to an account, to make sure things get paid. I don't want to see it because I don't want there to be any question that the king has his hand in the pot. You know what I'm saying? And Hezekiah has these appointments to say, let's make sure that we're stewarding the resources right so that we make sure it's being used for what it needs to be used for. So that's why the names go on. I know I really messed them up, but that's why they're used. In verse 14, it says, and uh, Corey, the son of Imna, the Levite, keeper of the east gate, was over the freewill offerings to God to apportion the the contribution reserved for the Lord and the most holy offerings. Eden, Minamin, uh, Jeshua, Shemaiah, Amariah, and Shechaniah were faithfully assisting him in the cities of the priests to distribute the portions to their brothers, old and young alike by divisions, except those enrolled by genealogy, males from three years old and upward, all who entered the house of the Lord as duty of, the, uh, of each day required, for their service according to their offices by their divisions. The enrollment of the priests was according to their father's houses. That of the Levites from 20 years old and upward was according to their offices by their divisions. They were enrolled with all their little children, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, the whole assembly, for they were faithful in keeping themselves holy. So I love this because you think of priests And yeah, there was a certain age that the priests needed to be and certain ones that would go do certain duties. But it says here that for their whole families, they're being provided. So there was an expectation of the priests and their families, even ones that said they're three years of age, boys and girls, that they would come up and be a part of what the Lord was doing in their midst and that they were being provided for. Um, And so nobody's really off the hook as far as uh, um, who's being a part of the priestly duties. And then it goes on and says in verse 19, and for the sons of Aaron, the priests, 
priests who were in the fields of common land belonging to their cities. Uh, There were men in in the several cities who were designated by name to distribute portions to every male among the priests and to everyone among the Levites who was enrolled. Thus, Hezekiah did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and of the commandments. And I love this part. Seeking his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. So Hezekiah, this king whose father had killed his brother, was completely given to idolatry, says, I'm not going that route. I am serving God. He has touched my heart and now I want to respond. And so he responds and he decides, I'm taking people with me. I'm taking those whom I have charge over with me. And he goes and gets the country. and He says, we're going to restore the worship. We're going to have Passover. And now we are going to install within our people the opportunity for us to keep our eyes on God. And everything that God had told him to do, Hezekiah did. Now we would love to turn and say, Hezekiah He is great, but I would caution us from going, let's praise and worship Hezekiah. What Hezekiah would say is, no, 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 no. What has happened here is that God has done a good work in my heart. God has done a good work in our heart. And God is going to continue to do a good work in me and in you because he is a good God. So let's continue to worship him. Let's continue to seek him. Let's continue to learn him. Let's continue to worship him. Let's continue on this journey we have in God together. That's where Hezekiah would be. My friends, as we read this, we might think that it's completely confusing to me because it's talking about another land at another time and they have priests and this and that. And I want to say to you today that it completely applies to us. Because now that we have Jesus Christ, he has died for our sins. And the moment that you say, Jesus, please forgive me, it's not about whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile. You were a sinner and now you are a saint. You were one who was completely full of death. And now by Jesus, you are completely full of life. And there's one other thing in Revelation chapter one. One of my favorite couple verses in all the Bible. John writes these words and I'm going to read it because I don't want to mess it up. John writes this. To him who loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom. So at this point, he says, man, God loves us. And even though we were sinners and we were going to die by his blood, he has freed us from those sins. So he's loved us. He has freed us from our sins. And then he said he has made us a kingdom. So we are not our own anymore. We are part of a, a group that's called the kingdom of God. We are under the king's rule. But this next phrase also applies to you. It's not just about the Old Testament. It says he has made us a kingdom priests to his God and father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So we love that first part. To him who loves us, God loves me for God so loved the world, right? And who has 
by his blood saved me from my sins. I love that, that I'm completely free and I'm waiting for the day he comes and takes me into eternity for eternal life. I love the fact that I'm saved and has brought us into this kingdom. I love that I get to be a part of a people. But oftentimes we hate that last phrase. He's made us priests. Because as soon as we talk about the fact that he's made us priests, it means that he has given us things to do. Yeah, that's the hard part. I love the saving and I love the fact that I've been set free. And I love the fact that one day I'll be taken into eternity and I'll be spared from the wrath of God. But the one thing that's difficult sometimes for us to get is that we have things to do. It's not just time for us to install recliners into these pews, right? And just say, we're just going to wait till Jesus comes back. We are in these pews because what God is doing in this church and in the church that he has saved by his blood is he is organizing the priests of God to do the work of God until his return. He has called upon us to take this word and to be a witness to the world saying, please, would you know the love of God so that you can be saved? He has called us to enter into the lives of one another and said, please look at Jesus and grow in him so that you can grow closer in your relationship and you can teach your kids what the actual gospel is. Please continue to keep your eyes on him so that you won't stray away to the idols of this world. We are priests that have been given jobs. The scripture says that in the church, there are ministers. At that point, most of the people would point at the stage at me or somebody else singing and say, there's the ministers. You know, at this point, I'm going to point at the ministers. Okay, it's my turn. It's my turn. If you were in Christ, you are a priest. And if you are a priest, you are a minister. And if you are a minister, you're called to do ministry. And if you're called to do ministry, you've got things to do. And for some of you, that is very, very scary right now. What what am I supposed to do? Ask him. You know, one of the great things we have with the Lord is we get to go to him and say, Lord, what, what do you want me to do? Remember the story of little Samuel? His mom had dedicated him to the Lord. Remember that? She had requested and said, Lord, would you please give me a child? You give me a child, I will I will give him back to you. And the Lord gives her Samuel. And so she grows him up until he's weaned. And then she takes Samuel and she drops him off at the temple for the priest Eli to work with. Just a young boy. And so one night, Samuel, who's just a little boy, is lying down on his mat and he hears Samuel. And he gets up and he runs to the priest Eli and says, here I am, you called? And Eli says, I I didn't call you. Go back and lay on your mat. Goes back and he lays on his mat. He hears, Samuel. Samuel gets up and runs to the priest. You called me? I didn't call you a crazy boy. I'm adding some things, but go back and lay on your mat. So this happens and finally Samuel hears again, Samuel. And he comes and at this point, Eli realizes that the Lord is calling to Samuel. And Eli says, Samuel, this time when you go back and you hear the Lord call your name. Say, here am I, your servant is listening. Basically saying, here am I, what do you want me to do? And that's just a boy. That God was calling into ministry to be a minister, to be a prophet. 
for us, that's what we should be doing. Wherever we are pausing on our bed, next to the bed where we're praying, in the pew right now, as we're walking, say, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's the first place to start. And you know what? I always want God to give me the easy things. You know? But Samuel, when he says, Lord, here am I, I'm your servant, please, please talk to me. The Lord gives him a very difficult word about the sin that Eli's family was in. And in the morning when Samuel, little boy, gets up and goes and talks to this religious leader in the land. And the religious leader says, boy, what did the Lord tell you? You better tell me. Samuel stands as a minister of the Lord. And did his job. The Lord grew him that night into a minister and continued throughout his life to grow him to be one who would do. But he started as a boy by saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? At this point, I could come up with a list of things and bark and say, you better do this and you better do this and you better do this. But what but the Lord has indicated at this point is to thank many of you. To say that the, the Lord knows that you are pursuing him. He loves it. Many of you, when you come to church, you're coming to be fed. You were you were desiring to grow. You want to mature. You want to be involved with what the Lord wants you to be involved in. And that is that is awesome. Stay with it. Stay with, I don't think there's any kind of arm twist I can do to make people do more to minister or to want to grow and to mature. And so it's just to speak to those who are and in that to encourage those who aren't to get there. Why should we mature? The reasons you're maturing are great. One of the reasons that you get to mature in the Lord is that when you come and you sit and you learn about the Lord, your relationship with him grows closer. When you're in Sunday school or you're 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 listening to me preach, hopefully you're like, I'm actually growing in my relationship with the Lord. One of the things that's also very great about maturing that is a blessing for you if, if, if you've been maturing is that is that you grow closer to those who are also in the fellowship of the lord have you noticed that the more that you come and you heap into the ministry the more that you give your heart into the lord's instruction the more that you get involved in serving the lord you actually grow closer to one another remember my my dad i would ask him about the war he was in vietnam and one of the things that was discouraging to him about Vietnam, it was the very first war that uh, for the troops. They would be sent out, but they wouldn't be sent out with the people they trained with. They would go out and they would just be kind of plugged in here and there. And they never had the opportunity to grow close because they, they were separated. And many of the times soldiers, they go to boot camp together, right? And they're learning together and they're putting effort in together and they're caring for one another. They're eating with each other. They're being barked at uh, by their officers together. And they, they become a band of what? A band of brothers. And then they go out into the fight as brothers. And when you come into this boot camp of Unity Church, you not only are growing in your relationship with the Lord, but as you invest in this place and you're looking to mature, you actually become a band of brothers and sisters. You are growing closer together. You want to help and minister to one another more. Continue that. Good job. Continue to do that. 
What also happens when you mature in the Lord, there becomes this thing where you get the eyes and the heart of the Lord and you can actually see other places where you need to minister. So when you leave this place, you understand that you're not just here uh, at Unity Church to make sure that everybody here is ministered to. But when you leave, you start seeing people at the grocery store that you're like, I need I need to express the love of the Lord to this person. You, be, you become a minister at your job saying that I'm just not here to crunch numbers next to this person. I'm here to actually share Jesus with this person. You're on the basketball team, not just because you and this other buddy of yours need to score some points. You're there to share Jesus with that kid. You begin to see with the eyes of Jesus that there's lost people all around you. And so when you've been maturing in the Lord, you're beginning to see those places where you need to take the Lord, huh? It happens. And so you grow in your relationship with the Lord. You grow in your relationship with those brothers and sisters in the church. And you grow in your compassion for other people that need to be ministered to. But The final thing is this. When you mature in the Lord. You can't wait for him to come back. You know, if if you just kind of sit into the religious recliner, you're kind of like. I can wait a little while. Because I've got Netflix, okay? I've got cable television, and I've got friends. And so I'll just kind of wait it out. I'm kind of in the retreat center, and Jesus will come back. But when, when you're maturing in the Lord, you begin to recognize you can't be without him. All you want to do is spend your time with him. And you can't wait until his visible bodily return where for forever you will be in his presence. Now, in a very human way, this makes sense. With Jesus, it's like, really? Sometimes? But think about it. If, if I had gone on dates and vowed to my wife on my, our wedding day, I love you, baby. I'm with you to the end. You'll be with me to the end. And then if our relationship had just been kind of truncated on that next day, Right? We just don't talk as more. I, I'm not curious about her interests. I'm not trying to understand her emotions. I don't care about her daily schedule. I'm not talking with her. What happens to that relationship? And all the love was left at the wedding day, right? There's something special about being in a relationship and maturing in that because you, you, you are growing and you're growing closer and you're growing better. And with the Lord, that's what happens when we mature. I know for me, I love holidays. And yet the Lord has desired that he would not be the Lord of Jason's holidays. He says he's more than Easter and he's more than Christmas. He's the Lord of every day and every moment, and every breath of my life. And he's called me to grow and he's called you to grow and he's called us to 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 do the work of the ministry as priests to his God and to his father. And so I hope this stirs with you in a desire. If you're not being fed, if you're finding that, that you need to know more, I would love to help you in that. You, maybe you need to change Sunday school classes. Maybe the one that you're in isn't feeding you right now. And they might not be a bad thing. Maybe it's just got stale. Maybe the Lord, hey, I know that we have divisions where we say the senior adult class is out here and the adult class is over there. 
and the young adult classes out there and the youth classes are back here. Hey, you know what? I, I'm just taking it on the young adult Sunday school class right now to invite every senior citizen who wants to come to our class to come. And if someone in our class says it's time for me to move to another, go. Go get fed. Go grow. Go find the people who are going to help you in the church to grow in Jesus Christ and spend some time with them. Make sure they're taking you to the word of God and grow in Christ and go minister in Christ. Go be what Christ has called you to do and grow in that. And we expect that of our kids, right? That they'd be growing in this faith and then expect that of us too. Let's continue to grow as the people of God. Let's continue to mature and say, Lord, I want to mature. I want to grow closer so I can be a minister that you have called me to be. As we close, uh, that may be tugging some of you to say, I want to go there. Some of you have been there, and and, and that's great. Thank the Lord for what he's been doing and continue that commitment. But some of you want to to grow further. And I'm I'm going to... uh, close at this point we're going to sing a song that it's straight out of that revelation chapter one and as we sing my call is going to be this if you want to grow in the lord i want you to make that commitment today if today's a day when you say i've i've been a christian but i've just kind of stayed a baby christian or i became wed with jesus but i've just kind of stayed stuck in that wedding day but if there there needs to be more then make today a day when you say i'm going to go and mature i'm going to be like the israelites leaving i'm going to go tear down idols i'm going to look to the law i'm going to be involved in in god i just want to throw all of myself at him make today the day you decide to mature and i'm going to ask you while we sing Don't wait for a last verse or anything, but if we sing and the Lord moves in your heart for that, today would be the day that you want to say, Lord, mature me. I'm going to ask you to come down here. Come come down and make a commitment today. I know a lot of times we come at the end and people bring burdens and all those things, but what I want for this morning is for you to say, I want to grow. I want to go do what the Lord has called me to do. I want the church to be called what the church has been called to do. Make this today the day when you say, I'm going to go at it with, with almost a reckless abandon. I'm going to throw myself at the feet of the Lord and say, grow me. So as we sing, I'm just going to ask you to come. Some of you aren't able to physically get up and go. And so in that, I just want you to the Lord somehow to make it a mark. You can raise your hand while you sing. You can just bow your uh, head if you're not able to come forward. And I know for some of you, that's because uh, you're seniors, but um, and, and you're just immobile like that right now. And that's fine because you know what? Some of the proudest people I am of in this church are the 70 somethings that come on Thursday mornings. I, I love that Bible study. Because almost everybody who's coming to that place is coming and being like, I, I don't know what this is going to be like. I came in that way. Like, I don't know how this is going to go. But I think if right now you went to every one of those individuals and you asked, what's Thursday morning Bible study like? I think to, to a person, they would say, I have grown in my faith. I see Jesus better. I've gotten closer to those in that Bible study and I've I've wanted to go and minister to those outside of the Bible study more. 
So make this a decision today. It may mean that you need to join a Bible study. It may mean that you need to start a Bible study. It may mean that you need to read your Bible. It may mean that you and I need to talk and just kind of pray through what the Lord, what that means for you. It may, may mean that you can't just drop your kids off anymore and then run out the door. If you're expecting them to grow, you might need to stay too. But make this a day. You're going to mark a day and say, Lord, I want to grow. I want to mature in what you've called me to be as a minister of the Lord.